Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The legendary New York Studio School marathons are immersive courses that emphasize experimental learning and expand the boundaries of what drawing, painting, and sculpture can be. Fall 2020 virtual intercession marathons take place November 5th through the 9th. Artists from anywhere in the world are invited to participate in a five-day virtual marathon. Each course is designed to expand upon essential themes and working methodologies in art making. Apply online today at nyss.org and follow them on Instagram at ny underscore studio school. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Caleb Hahn is a Denver-based artist whose paintings address themes of memory, vulnerability, intimacy, and boyhood. He received a BFA in Fine Arts from the Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design in 2014 and currently lives and works in Denver, Colorado. He's had recent residencies at Chopin from September 2013 to August 2014 and at Red Line Contemporary Art Center, both located in Denver. He recently completed a traveling artist residency with Southwest American Bullet. His art has been included in multiple solo and group exhibitions in Denver, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oakland, Portland, Montreal, Berlin, and the United Kingdom, and recently at MCA Denver, as well as the New Museum. Caleb's been featured in Juxtapose, High Fructose, and Boom.com. Denver Westwood named Caleb one of the 100 Colorado creatives of 2014 and one of the top 10 artists to watch in 2015. He was listed as one of the top 10 contemporary artists under 40 by Wide Walls. He's represented by 1969 Gallery in New York City and Rule Gallery in Denver and Marfa. And recently had an exhibition at The Cabin in LA and is exhibited in Antwerp, Belgium at New Child Gallery. I spoke with Caleb about Denver and LA, punk rock, painting small and scaling up and much more. Here's our conversation. Um, well, how's Denver? Uh, it's, it's cool. I mean, I've been here my whole life. So coming back, I was just in LA for a month doing this, this residency and coming back is a little bizarre because, you know, I don't really get to go to the beach whenever I want. And the weather is a lot different. Like I got off the plane and it was like 60 degrees and, you know, it's technically the high desert, so it's incredibly dry. Um, and my skin is just really missing humidity. I feel like I have to put on like these huge, like like lather my face and <laughs> moisturizer just to like stay comfortable. Yeah, yeah, it gets but, dry, right? Oh yeah, and like even waking up in the morning, it's like I feel like I have to drink a gallon of water right away. Um, but it's good. It's it's really beautiful. Um, I'll always love being here and being from here, but. It is definitely kind of, it's taking me a bit more time to readjust, I think. 
Um, so you were gone a but, month, right? Yeah, yeah, it was it was a month. And um, I think the other thing, you know, because me and my girlfriend, we live together and we share cars. And when I was out there, it was kind of just like on my own schedule. And now we're trying to coordinate each other's schedules again, yeah. which is taking a little bit of time. It's always an adjustment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like I wake up pretty early typically and I'm just like, I want to get to the studio now. But that's not the case right now, which is fine. Yeah. So did you, you grew up in Denver proper or were you like in a suburb? Or? Yeah. So I grew up in a, like a, a really big town actually called Aurora, which oh, is yeah, about yeah. 40, 45 minutes that's south. University of Colorado, right? Or no, is there a school there in Aurora? Um, no, not like a, a big college. Like all the big colleges are in Denver, like uh, Metro and UCD. Yeah. And then um, up north, there's Boulder, or CU Boulder and uh, Fort Collins and um, University of Northern Colorado. But Aurora is like a, it's funny because it's, it's really segregated. It's very, very different. Yeah. Like uh, you basically cross one street and like the wealth disparity is crazy. It's, it's like day and night. Um, but yeah, I, I love Aurora. It's, it's definitely, um, there's like this ongoing joke, at least between me and my friends, like you can really tell when somebody's from Aurora and Aurora, Colorado specifically, yeah. it's just like a different breed of person. And also like there's something about Aurora where the summers always feel like they're like 15 degrees hotter. So it's got amplified also, like, weather. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like maybe it's just all of the the blacktop. Like there, it's just so hot. And uh, yeah, I mean, I really. It, it also has like a really crazy history, you know, with the Aurora Theater shooting, which yeah. happened at the mall that I worked at. Um, and Colorado in general just has like kind of negative history attached to it when it comes to shootings. Yeah, um, it really does. I mean, it's like a bizarre of connection to a place that seems really chill and you know there's a lot of kind of i don't know there's a mix of people it seems like liberal and conservative and it just it feels yeah. like kind of at times i mean you know idyllic and and kind of you know it's just weird that it has that storied history of those events happening there yeah well and that's funny because that's like one thing i i explain to people pretty often um about Colorado specifically is and it's really similar to Oregon in this way because my dad lives in Portland Mm -hmm. um so when you're in like Denver proper Portland proper everything is really progressive and very left-leaning but you go 45 minutes northwest southeast and it's really a different place um because even where I grew up in Aurora it's crazy because Aurora is actually um an extremely diverse city Mm -hmm. like there's like a huge Ethiopian and Vietnamese and Latino um like communities, which is why my family like moved there because my family immigrated to Colorado in like the 1940s, and so I'm half Latino, and so they moved to Aurora because there's like a lot of Latino families. Yeah. Um, but uh, then there's the other side of that where there's like a lot of, uh, like, I don't want to associate being cowboys with like being racist because my family is also a bunch of cowboys, but there's like that that other very far right extreme um it's funny because like i just grew up around that like i grew up on both sides of it like yeah. having to deal with so uh especially with like my parents being biracial um so it's funny because on one end it's like a really diverse city but you're still dealing with the other end of that 
but yeah and you know it feels that sounds like um kind of how the amplified nature and in our society today of this just seems like it's more um exaggerated than ever this dynamic between the two sides of america like the sort Mm -hmm. of the liberal sort of you know city you know progressive kind of like the and then the you know middle americans who you know the liberals don't understand like it's that dynamic seems really tense right now probably because of the current administration you know all the stuff that's going down it feels like you know you've you i don't remember hearing the word civil war in (laughs) until recently you know what i mean as like this thing of like whoa careful we're gonna be headed for a civil war like i that's actually being said a lot lately yeah yeah it is funny it's like a it's an odd topic to i mean i find myself even googling it and like trying to really get down to the bottom of it and see how like how close we are to that and you know it's kind of bizarre to think because it's it's like one of these being in america it's really hard to to see is like oh well that could never happen to us you know we're and that's not even on some nationalistic i like thought process it's just like we're i feel like we're so far separated from everything that's even happening like what's going on in um i can never in armenia or or uh armenia you know yeah 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 okay i just want to make sure because there's all these different words and like there's different people inside of those countries and like there's a war going on right there and it's really so i mean sounds trite but you're just like desensitized by it by looking at your edit on your phone and you're just like oh well that couldn't happen here um and i try not to get too bleak into and also i just feel like the united states military is so powerful like i don't even really know what that would look like um yeah and and it's funny too because like i'll have these thoughts while i'm painting pictures and it just feels so right like opposite sides of the fence like i'm painting these sunsets while also having <laughs> these like really dark thoughts on my mind but yeah um, i'm i do the same thing i'm in that same boat you know where it, yeah you know and you think to yourself well this is the uh this is the mental escape from all that gravity you know what i mean but but yeah. it's getting in the work in one way or another it's just not obvious but it's in it's in the psyche you know definitely, definitely. It's kind of like, like if you go and you're reaching out to escape escapism can look many different ways like it can have mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. a total different aesthetic from whatever is happening in reality but just the fact that you are trying to escape you know aesthetically mm-hmm. or conceptually whatever is you know serious in your day-to-day life i mean there's something to be said for that you know yeah yeah definitely and i think that's even why i liked painting as a kid you know i just kind of I also had a lot of siblings. My grandparents lived with me. Like, it was a really big house. And yeah. so I think, in that same way, painting was always this escape. Um, How did it get that, like, interested? How did you get introduced to it? So my stepdad, my uh, my parents were never together. And my mom married um, this guy when I was, like, three. Uh, and he was a muralist, like mm-hmm. an airbrush muralist. And he did, like, airbrush T-shirts and... Um, it's funny because I grew up just playing sports uh, competitively and I just loved like, I don't know, there was because he had his studio in the basement and there was something about this like sacred temple in the part of the house and it wasn't like a man cave or anything, yeah. <laughs> which I think is like when you're growing up, it's really easy to like see like, oh, this is where my dad or my stepdad goes. But there was something I think that I was attracted to about like nobody could puncture this, you know? Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I loved drawing. I loved making things as a kid. Like even like, I, I liked making like bow and arrows out of PVC pipe and like his airbrush cords and stuff. Um, yeah. and I think that that part of my brain just always wanted to be stimulated. And then I went to high school and I think like every other person who was like an artist, um, was like inspired by other people. Cause it's funny. I, w- I was in this Uber the other day and he was like talking to me about art and the classic conversation of, I can't even draw a stick figure. And he was like, <laughs> and he was like, you're just talented. You're born talented. And I was like, honestly, dude, I was trash. Like I was not a good <laughs> artist when I was a kid. Like, no, I don't think that I was struck with this thing that was like, you're go- like, you're good. Um, but I just love doing it. And I think naturally when you do something a lot, you just start getting better. And then I just had, incredible friends and like teacher who was just kind of pushing me and then at one point I just couldn't stop doing it and then I went to college and then I sold my first drawing for like a hundred dollars and I was like I can do this yeah yeah that's all you needed right (laughs) yeah 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 absolutely just like that one person to believe in you and also I just never gave myself really a plan b um but yeah I, I was I wanted to play sports when I was a kid. I loved sports, and I still do. But do you play everything, or uh, so I played hockey and soccer and lacrosse, like all of like the very broy sports, of course. Um, and, and, and not then, cheap. Uh, I mean, except for soccer, but hockey and lacrosse aren't. You know, no, nah, they're not cheap they're, sports. <laughs> they're not. They're not. Fortunately, like it was really. I feel very fortunate in that way. Like my mom, my stepdad, and my dad all like pitched in on it. So I feel like I had a pretty different um experience um and also my stepdad loved hockey and he was like connected so we usually would get like pads and stuff for a pretty fair price and then um but now so my i come from like a a family of boxers and i've been boxing for the past like four years and i do that pretty consistently and um yeah my i wanted to do it more as a kid but like most parents, they don't want to see their kid getting beat up. Um, right. And so uh, I decided to start getting beat up in my early 20s, and now I love it. <laughs> they're, they're only comfortable with it if you put on pads and you play football, because then you're getting beat up, but you're you're just padded yeah, up. Yeah, you know? exactly. There's like, yeah, they, they think you have like this armor on, but the funny thing about helmets is that like they don't, there's not like a cushion around your brain. Right. Like it just protects your skull. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just visual. It's like, like you don't get any y- blood flowing <laughs> down, but you get all the brain yeah, yeah. damage from your head, like yeah. bobbing around. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy because even like when I watch, um, I don't watch football, but I, I'm sure you have this like weird algorithm set up on your phone, but I'll get like football highlights <laughs> on oh, my yeah. feed <laughs> and I can't help but watch them. But sometimes you see these people getting hit and you're just like, Dude, there's no way that that is safer than any other sport. Oh, like no. that's just not at all. I mean, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I'm not allowed to not watch football. Like it's oh, okay. it's within me. Like yeah, I okay. don't even have TV anymore, but I just yeah. I'll still watch the highlights of stuff. Yeah, that's funny. That's, I can't escape yeah, it. I, it's funny. There's not like this. Uh, I mean, people love the Broncos in Colorado. Like the Broncos. Like yeah. my fan. I I really wanted to make this zine. Um, full of Broncos head tattoos because like <laughs> it's like this thing in Colorado so many people are so dedicated to Bronco the Broncos that like they'll have the Broncos logo tattooed on their neck or on their head or on their hand and uh one of my friends one of my friends is a tattoo artist and he said this guy <laughs> this guy came in and he got the uh 
the like he wanted his head to look like a Broncos helmet, so he got the logo on both sides of his head. Like the old school one or the new one? The one the with new the, one. the new one. Oh jeez. Yeah. <laughs> That's dedication, man. That just shows you how crazy people get about sports. Oh, absolutely. It's it's funny cuz like I love painting, but I don't love that that much. Like I I wouldn't get I don't know. That would be weird, like getting like a gambling tattooed on my <laughs> side of my head, you know? or, or like, like a palette or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The yeah, palette yeah. emoji on your arm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. See, and, and you have tattoos clearly, but I don't know how. Yeah. Like I've never gotten a tattoo because I always feel like I can't get attached to an image. Yeah, and yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Like I'm always, even with my art, like I'm always thinking that next image, and to think For about sure. having something on me that's forever. I don't just don't know how I would do it. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, I grew up around a lot of my like family had tattoos and stuff. And so I just always thought it was, and I grew up listening to like punk rock and like Black Flag. Yeah, and, my, and I just thought it was like the coolest shit. I was yeah, like, yeah. wow, I want to look like Henry Rollins. Like that's a, that's a <laughs> sick look. Um, but it's funny because like they call it like your second layer. And now I'm on my like second layer of covering up other tattoos. But, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just love traditional tattoos and I kind of like, I, I don't know. I don't, none of my tattoos mean anything. Yeah. I, I just really love like the way that they look. Um, and I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh, I don't feel it. Like I love getting tattooed. I fucking hate getting tattooed. It's like painful and it's just arduous and you're, you just can't wait for it to be done. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I really, I don't know. I just, I've just done it for a long time. I, th- I would think I too. Like I've one, already got them on my body and I might as well just keep going. Yeah. And I think probably once you get enough of them, you just start to roll with it. You know, you're not, I think if you have one tattoo, you put a lot of sort of stock in that one image. But if you have a lot going on, you can kind of see past that. That would be like if you had an art show with just one painting in it. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be a power move. That'd be really good. <laughs> yeah. <that'd> be <laughs> the best painting anybody's ever seen. Next level. That would be pretty amazing, though, one painting in the gallery. And I don't, the scale that you work at, you work in pretty, you work small sometimes, too, right? I work small pretty often. It's funny, because when I was at the cabin, it was the biggest painting I've ever made. Um, and it was it was mostly because the canvas was free. <laughs> um, because, like, <laughs> you know, I, I've had this really big, this eight foot by six foot canvas that I stretched and gessoed, like, towards the beginning of quarantine, but in my head I can't get over like damn I spent a lot of money doing this like I better make a good painting um right but like (laughs) I I really love working small and Danny who runs the cabin he was just like what if you made it big and I'm like what if and so I gave it a shot um (laughs) but yeah it's funny because I I and maybe you relate to this too but I, I feel like a lot of people are always saying that like making a small painting is harder than making a big painting um Totally. But I just think for so long, I, I was like working in my apartment and I had um, like, I didn't have like a big studio. And so working small just always was easier. Um, yeah. And I also really, <laughs> I, I like poetry a lot. And that sounds, that sounds so corny, but like, uh, I really love how you can say so much with so little. And so for me, I like thinking of small paintings as whispers. Um and something that can just like really yeah. pull you in. And um, I don't know, maybe that's just because like there's not, not as much pressure to me. I feel like when I work big, there's more of this pressure to make a big statement. Um, and as right. I'm painting larger, uh, even like the big paintings that I made for the cabin, 
they were really simple in, um, I guess, design, if you will. And, uh, they were successful in that way. And, you know, I always struggle with maybe this needs more, maybe this, like, this isn't interesting enough, but there, there can be a lot of power in subtlety. And so I'm just trying to harness that a bit more. Yeah, I think people tend to get used to their size as well. So like if you're always working small, you can kind of get acclimate to that and learn how to make like the power moves in a small painting and it and it holds the wall and it holds the feeling of the yeah. painting. Whereas I think sometimes when people work big a lot and then they have to move to a small one, they they lean on that scale and that you know, the intimidation of that big image, it's, it's palpable. Like if you have a painting that's larger Mm -hmm. than you, you can't help but feel that physical presence of it. And then to shift into a tiny little, you know, six by eight painting, it's like, well, how do I get that big hit from just such a small image? Yeah. I think that like, uh, there's a lot of artists who do it really well, like, uh, Ridley Howard and Lou Fertino and Jenna Gribben. Like these are all people in Catherine Bradford. These are all people who like, they'll have this really small, gentle painting and, you know, it, it doesn't compete so much. Like, I really love that seeing this seven by six next to this 11 by 14 and seeing how they, yeah. they can, it just shows range and it shows that like a painting doesn't have to be enormous in order to be moved by it. Um, and right. I think that that's like also just an expectation. I think a lot of people always want to see a big painting. Um, and it's funny cause, right. cause Danny who he, the guy again who runs the cabin, um, he really wanted me to make a, a large painting for the entryway and everybody does that for that space. And, uh, I was like, what if I make a really small painting? And he was just <laughs> not into it. Um, didn't but, buy it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I was like, I just, I don't know. I, I, and maybe that was just angsty of me, but I, I just wanted to switch up the algorithm for him and see if he would be down to, you know, maybe we can have a big punch with a little painting. Um, but, you know, I'm actually happy that he kind of guided me or convinced me to work big because it, it was actually really liberating. Um, yeah. And I definitely want to do more of that, but I, I do. I'm working on some smaller, like 18 by 14 paintings right now. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something about being honed in on it that feels so different. Totally. Did you have to uh, kind of do a little bit of a shift with the quarantine? Did you do you work at home or is your studio far away or how did that work? Yeah, so it was, I was super paranoid at the beginning because I think like a lot of us, I don't think we had information on like what was really going on. And my studio mate, so I'm a part of a residency here called Redline and um my studio mate is in his seventies. He moved out and I was more and more concerned for him at that point. And so I just took all my drawing stuff and I was working on a lot of drawings at home for like the first like month or two. And then, um, Mm -hmm. my studio is about 15 minutes away and, uh, I realized that nobody was going in there. And so I just started going back there and, uh, painting every day. And, it was funny because then more and more people started coming into the studio in the past couple of months. <laughs> I felt myself getting like, oh man, <laughs> you know, like I, I love being <laughs> around people, but, um, it was nice having just like this huge space to kind of walk around and, you know, be by myself a little yeah. bit. Well, especially during a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It felt, <laughs> it felt like my own private studio. Um, and my girlfriend yeah. and I don't have the, we, uh, the biggest apartment. And so we were like, 
what we were just like living on top of each other. And I think that it was nice for me to kind of get back to the studio. And, you know, when you spend all day painting by yourself and then all of a sudden you're just around somebody all day, every day, you're kind of like, where's my personal space, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a weird shift, right? Because like that concentration and that attention span shift is big. Like pe- I feel like people work in big shared studios or like people who work in schools where there's a lot of yeah. students you just get used to it you can anyone can really adapt to yeah, it definitely but it, it's an adapt you know adapting process because there's so many little interruptions and you know and if you're by yourself for like hours and hours you just hit that that kind of sweet spot of just like you really start trucking in the studio and it's you know one yeah. phone call or one text can just like totally you know put the put a monkey wrench in that whole groove you yeah know? Absolutely. I think that's like what I loved and why I worked so well in Los Angeles because it wasn't a shared studio. It was just a just a big space and I could kind of just do whatever I want. And I, I knew that I wasn't going to get any of those interruptions. Um, yeah. And for me, it, it takes me a good like two, three hours to really get in that groove. Like I have to paint for a while for me just to kind of like hone into that meditative spot. And um, And when you're there, it's like, whenever I come out of it, it's so jarring. I'm just like, how do I talk to people? I feel kind of cranky. Cause I'm just like, Oh, that was, that was like heaven for a while. You know, that was such yeah. a, a crazy place to be. And it's kind of incredible to even be able to access that part of yourself. Cause you know, I try to explain that feeling to my painter friends or, or no, sorry, my friends who like my non painter friends and a lot of them can't relate to it. And I just feel really, like grateful that I can that I can get to that place um yeah because it's not like anything else yeah I agree that's kind of like the the heaven state in this you know it even if it's hard work there's something about it that's just I don't know it must I imagine for people who don't find that through creativity there must be some sort of equivalent through like meditation Mm. and I've never gotten like heavy into meditation because I feel like when I'm in the studio working, there's something meditative about yeah, absolutely. that. You know what I mean? I know it's not pure, like it's not silent and I'm a, but it, I still feel like I, I get the kind of relaxation people talk about when they talk about TM or like being in a deep meditative yeah. state. And, um, I, I don't, I know there's, there's just a lot of people out there who are just working so hard and like their life is so complicated and stressful that they, they don't even have time to think about getting into that state which is kind of a bummer yeah yeah absolutely it's like the mavlov's hierarchy of needs you know it's like i feel fortunate that i have all of these other things taken care of so that gives me the the access or privilege to getting into that place um and yeah it's i was gonna say something but then i forgot um but yeah painting and like being in that place is it is super bizarre because I, I mean, I love, oh, th- this is the question I was going to ask you. When you're painting um, or when you're thinking, do you hear your own voice like talking through or do you see like abstract things or like do you just hear like w- what what is like your cerebral kind of like voice? No, there's definitely a, you know, internal voice. Like I'll be looking at a painting and say, I don't know, does that, you know, does that sky need to be brighter or more saturated Mm. and I'll actually say that to myself and then I'll, I'll visualize it, but you know, it's, yeah, I think that happens all the time. It's crazy because my, my friend, she posted this thing on Instagram a while ago and she doesn't hear like her own voice. 
she thinks in like shapes and abstract. And I guess that's actually pretty common where there's like two forms of thought. There's like hearing your own voice and then there's like this abstract thing going inside of your brain. And I thought she was just messing with me. And then the more that I was talking about it, she, she was so fascinated that like when I am making decisions or I am like going through something in my head, like a play by play, I am hearing my own voice. Um, and like talking myself through yeah. it. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it's funny. Cause even <laughs> because I was so by myself in Los Angeles, when I would say stuff out loud, it was kind of bizarre being like, Oh, that's my own voice. You know, it's like shock of existence <laughs> where you're like, Oh, right. I, I need to like see somebody, like see some friends or like go talk to the lady at sweet greens. Like it was just, right. Yeah. It, it feels like a castaway moment or something like where you're on that island so long you just start talking to a yeah, volleyball. Yeah, yeah, Or like you're peeling back the tape and you're like, ooh, you know, you're just like uh, yeah, yeah. overly, yeah. But, but it's funny because even when I have bad days in the studio, like yesterday things weren't just working. Um, I think it took me a while to like get to the point of knowing like, okay, just stop for the day. You know, like you don't have to be here yeah. eight hours today. Like maybe four hours was enough and your brain was just like, today's not your day. Um, whereas, you know, there was this part of me where I was just like, maybe I will continue just working on this painting and exhausting it. And then I realized that not, nah, cause then I'm just gonna have to wait even longer for this oil to dry. And then I'm just gonna have to like, yeah, it, it, it is, it's a, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm kind of honing in on my practice a bit more these days and like trusting myself and my voice. Yeah. I'm getting that in life too, where I have days where I'm just like, yeah, you know what? This day is not really working. Mm. No, for real. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep trying things today. I'm just going to try to like minimize my engagement with the world. Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> Even yesterday, like, uh, it, I felt that with like my girlfriend, I think we both were just like, yeah, today's not the day. Like it, it's okay. Like, let's just, let's just hit the reset button on this and right. try this again tomorrow. Um, yeah, it's, it is, it is so weird. I don't know. I feel like we always have like this, at least I have this expectation of myself to just like kind of solve my problems right away. And like if something yeah. doesn't, isn't working out for the day, whether it be in my life or in my practice, I'm just like, okay, let's uh, do a play by play. Well, why isn't this working? Like how do we, you know, and that, that stuff is so infinite. Like there's a million solutions to a problem and there's like a million problems. And so you just kind of create this loop and um, yeah. So just like disappearing for a little bit. Right. Well, like making changes in work. I mean, it. when I look at some of your earlier stuff, it feels like your work has like, you know, shifted a lot over time. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that stuff was like, what were you doing when you were in school? Because you were at Rocky Mountain, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, I went to Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design. Um, I actually went to school for illustration. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I wanted to do like comics and stuff. And I, I always loved storytelling, which is also why I, I like reading certain books and um there's a lot of power in that and when I was in college I was making work that was like anti my school um you know I was making these like deconstructed you know we had to do all of these bust paintings and so I was like I'm gonna make these like deconstructed ones and these collage ones and I was really into Dadaism and all of that stuff and I thought that I was really like sticking it to them <laughs> and um <laughs> yeah it was just like really angsty and I really loved making them and then I think I was really afraid of my own voice for a while um and so the earlier work that I was making 
I think was just like me trying to make art about art. And, uh, you know, I took a break from Instagram and I took kind of just like a break from a lot of things. Um, and I just was like, I want to make paintings that are about like my own experience in my life and like treat painting as the diary that it has been for me. And, you know, cause I draw all the time and I just wasn't making paintings of the drawings that were like of the people in my life or, you know, whatever it may be. And, um, it just kind of, kind of happened gradually. And, you know, the, when I first made a shift, I was making these like paintings about touch and, uh, that, zoomed out and then I was like well what's happening on the other side of that image like no longer like what is this section of the painting what's the whole painting and and then I started painting people that I that I know and I love and I felt like a different kind of connection to that um and even painting myself uh it was yeah it was kind of it was scary you know I I have kind of a a weird complex background like I think every person on the planet but you know being like a white dude who's half Latino grew up in like a very traditional home speaking Spanish like always being kind of like informed of like my family calls me Wero which means white boy um Mm -hmm. and like I feel like there was always this expectation to even make paintings about that part of me but you know if I'm just making paintings of like my circle and my people and myself then like that in itself is like me talking about it and for me it's just like I I feel like painting lately has been like this way for me to kind of unpack things or even this way for me to remember stuff in my my own kind of way or like remember myself or remember um like uh I'll, I'll make paintings of myself as a teenager and um using that that metaphor using that image as like this this person who is you know dealing with like these ideas of or these uh you know kind of I feel like when people are younger like when you're a teenager you're dealing you're going through the motions of like bravery and fear and courage and growth and so I really like using that boy as like this weird way of me observing myself as like a 27 year old painting myself as a 17 year old you know it's like this weird conversation with myself or um painting my my girlfriend or painting like my friends the the people that are closest to my life um yeah it feels it just feels important to me and I'm still building language around it but for me it's like sometimes the the best thing for my practice is not to try to convolute it with all of these ideas and just to know that like what feels good is natural and if and that's good and like I should just keep doing that and sometimes if you kind of try to think or write too much about something it, it can ruin it then it becomes too much of like this academic pursuit and not so much of like, for me, this kind of spiritual or like soul pursuit of like my life and the people in it. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, I've, I've lived here my whole life. And so I think for me, it's like, I'm in a, I'm fortunate enough to be in a place where I can move to one of, to this bigger city and be able to chill for a while and like, not, maybe not chill, but I won't have, I won't need to get a job. You know, I can just kind of continue doing stuff. And I, I have like a a calendar right now, which will allow me to kind of just like focus on my practice or on paintings for shows and stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, when I was younger, there was this appeal, but I don't know. I, I, I think I'm a, I'm a safe person. Um, And so for me, like that comfort is really necessary and knowing that like, okay, I'm going to be able to go there and just do what I do all the time and not have to work 
a job that I don't want to work, you know, and that yeah. gets in the way of my practice. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not going to LA or New York to, to become an artist. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not right. trying to like do something. I'm like, I'm already doing that. And I just feel like maybe being in a, a new city. I mean, honestly, I could even move somewhere beautiful. Like my, I, I would love to even move to Portland. My dad lives out there. I've got a lot of really good friends and, um, I really enjoy it. I, I, I think more than anything, I would, I just kind of want to be out of Colorado and, you know, shed my skin and become somebody else for a little bit. Yeah. You know, there's something that's really fascinating about moving to a new place where nobody knows you. There's like no real expectations of you. You can kind of just be this version of yourself without like, oh, that's Caleb, you know? Um, right. Whereas in Colorado, like I said, a thousand times I've been here my whole life and I feel like anywhere I go, I know somebody, um, right. which is also like really beautiful. Like I, I love community in that way. Um, but there is something really refreshing about being nobody. Yeah. And I would imagine also just changing your, I mean, you're doing that when you travel or whatever, but changing your sort of visual, you know, like resetting the visual and, and seeing a whole new environment. And it's different when you, uh, you know, when you travel, it's such a great thing for your to see things differently. But then when you move somewhere, mm-hmm. it's even deeper than that because you're really living in a different visual environment, which I think is always, you know, it's ju- it's jolting at the beginning, but it's also yeah. invigorating. And you kind of, you get injected with this new kind of um, exuberance for like just seeing things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It was, It's funny you say that because when I got to LA, I couldn't help but be mesmerized by the sunsets, especially during the fires. It was, oh yeah, everything felt like a movie and everywhere I went felt like a David Hockney painting. Like it just made, it's so, <laughs> it sounds like so cinematic, but everywhere I went, I was just like, oh, this could be a really cool painting, you know? Yeah. Um, and I just haven't felt that in Colorado in a while. And um, I think because I am a sensitive person I'm, and, I'm, and I'm sensitive to my surroundings, it just kind of lend itself and kind of bled into those paintings quite a bit. And, as I was like making them or even reflecting on it, I was just like, Oh yeah, this, this makes sense. Um, and yeah, it, it really, what was really bizarre was the fires happening there. And then the fires happening right. in Colorado at the same time, because yeah. the fire, the sky looked so different in Colorado than it did in Los Angeles, even though there's these things that were happening and maybe it's just the altitude, but you know, one of, there was like two or three days where it looked like it was, seven o'clock at night at noon and it was yeah. such a bizarre like where is this more if it just felt like i was on a different planet um but yeah i think that moving somewhere else will like allow me or like kind of let me tap into a different part of myself yeah i've always been interested in that idea that something that is actually a negative like whether it's smog or fires creating something extremely beautiful like to the eye environmentally, you know? Yeah. It's kind yeah, of a yeah. weird, interesting dynamic. Cause I saw some of those stills people were posting from LA during the fires and the skies are like amazing. I mean, yeah. it's got, you know, it's got a dash of apocalyptic vibes to it, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's yeah, pretty yeah, beautiful yeah. too at the same time. Oh, absolutely. It is like this d- double sided sword where you're like, Oh, this is so beautiful, but I know why it exists, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And, 
and it's funny because like the first week I was there, there was like there was a uh, an earthquake that was four point eight, and there was that heat wave of one hundred and fifteen degrees, and then there were the fires, <laughs> and I was just like, I'm gonna Welcome. die here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, maybe this isn't the vibe. Maybe this isn't where I should be. Um, but I felt so safe in my studio, and then when I would leave it, I was like, oh, there's a world out here. Um, yeah. But but it was wonderful. It's funny. I've I always kind of had such a a strange feeling towards LA. I always, I think like a lot of people, it's really easy to write off as being like, Oh, it's fake. And it's this, this and that. And I think you're going to deal with that in any city, but I just tried to like focus on the the relationships that I had with people there and focus on painting. And it didn't, I, it was really beautiful. And I also think that there's this really rich, like uh, there's this really rich culture there for Latino people. And for me, it felt really, it felt different. It felt like something, it felt very natural. It felt like, cause there's lots of parts of Aurora that looked similar to LA. Um, yeah. and for me it was like my own way of kind of tapping back into like being home. Um, and even, you know, being like a white body in the spaces, I usually will try use my speaking Spanish and my ability to speak Spanish to kind of allow myself a little bit more of leeway and be like, Hey, I'm not trying to encroach on anything here, but, and usually it's funny cause in Colorado, even though there is like a, a large Latino population, everybody always freaks out when I speak Spanish. But when I go to these bigger cities, you know, it doesn't matter to anybody. Yeah, like I, no, I, New York, <laughs> it doesn't matter. No, no one's impressed. Well, one of my one of my friends, uh, he's he li- who lives in Portland. He's from Harlem, and he's half Chinese, half Dominican. So he grew up speaking Spanish and Mandarin and English. Yeah, and so like, yeah. it's it's two different parts of two different sides of the world, and it's just beautiful that it can exist in one person. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny too how people will identify you. Like, you know, it's kind of like half people who are half, like you, there's like this weird, like sometimes people just won't recognize it at all or, oh, yeah. you know, only identify with the one side. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you're probably more identified as a white person. Oh, right? absolutely. absolutely. It's like Tiger Woods, like almost no one refers to Tiger Woods as like Asian. You know what I mean? It's just like, he's a black athlete. It's like, well, he's also half Filipino. Like he's, he's Asian too, you know, or Barack Obama for that matter. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's just like the black president. It's like, well, yeah, but he's, he's half white, half black. You know, it's interesting how that plays out as far as like, it's such a visual thing. People are just visually kind of like, it's an identification of identity, you know? Yeah. Well, that goes into like this whole conversation of otherness that, because I was talking to, two friends the other night who are also one's Latino, one's Latina. And we were talking about how like you, especially me being like white passing, there's this, this place of otherness. Like you're always having to assert yourself or decide, like have people decide for you who you are and what you are. And I think even in the art world, it's a very nationalistic kind of thing, even on artsy, you know, we're all segregated into like American Mexican or like right. whatever. And then even when you go to art fairs, it's like, this is the New York space. This is like Europe. This, you know, so that in itself, it, it's hard to, to operate or navigate in that space too, because, um, you know, even though I'm not like my work isn't about being Latino, it is in some regards, but I feel like this, this pressure or this obligation to always let somebody know, like just like I'm, I'm half of this thing. And maybe it's because of, my whole life I had to assert that within my family and like, let them know, like even, even yeah. the, the nickname like Wero is like using Spanish to like invite you, but also let you know at the same time, like, Hey, 
just because you're one of us, you're not one of us, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've always struggled with that. I've always had to like let people know that I'm, I mean, I'll always obviously never know what it is to be a person of color because I am white, but being adjacent to that, like seeing my family have to deal with it, you know, I, I feel like I have a different lens and also having to be, um, you know, and it's funny too, because I, in the same space, like regards that I am like white or white passing, whatever you want to use, um, people almost expect me to be like the, uh, like the spokesperson for like Latino oh, people, yeah. like, like right. people have feel more like, uh, inclined to ask me strange questions because I am white. Like there's less of this barrier. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I have always had to like, even when some like how you're talking about Tiger Woods or Barack Obama, it's like that kind of divisiveness or like decisiveness can really be, um, like damaging too, because then you're also kind of suppressing or like silencing this other part of their whole existence or their identity. You know, it's like, yeah. just because I, I, I'm white doesn't mean that, you know, I didn't grow up with quinceaneras and like mariachi bands, you know? And, um, yeah. And like using language as like this weird way to like assert myself and like insert and insert myself and be like, no, don't, don't worry. Like I belong here too. You know, like the sense of belonging, yeah. is like something I'm always searching for. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a, it's a very tricky, strange thing to, not strange, it's just really difficult to navigate within the broader concept of identity. I mean, like, my son is, you know, biracial, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, you know, we named him, we gave him his first name, because his last name's going to be, you know, as white as it gets with Alfred. (laughs) So, (laughs) so we named his first name, you know, a name that's of his, you know, uh, of his you know, family from mm-hmm. where he's from. So, so it's obvious that it's not, you know, but people will hear his name and think that he's, it's Scandinavian or something <laughs> white anyway. So, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's, it, it's difficult, I think, because your identity is, you know, what you come from and that is your real identity, like how you feel culturally in relation to your parents and your surroundings and all that. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and and then there's the projected identity too. And those are two yeah, things yeah, yeah. that are hard because they, they come from different places and you know, it's, it's kind of a strange, I mean, it's always going to be a little murky and difficult with, cause humans are just that way. We're going to categorize, we're going to split people, you know, yeah. people want to immediately identify, like if you're gray or Brown, they're like, okay, what, what kind are we talking about here? Like, where, where are you from? Yeah. You know, all that stuff. So it's, um, I think it's just, unfortunately, it's like a side of human nature, you know? Yeah, it's like how we feel comfortable, which is, I mean, I, you even notice it in high schools, like, you know, this is where the jocks hang out. This is So even if it isn't like your your ethnicity, it's like what you also align yourself with, which is why I think I loved punk rock so much. Like, I loved hardcore music and all that because I just had so many friends inside of that like it was so and also grow up, growing up in aurora like I, I grew up in a really diverse city you know so you know across the street was like an armenian family and then down the street was a nigerian family and then an ethiopian family and then like a mexican family like i feel very fortunate because it's and it's funny because in colorado it's always like a white person who says this to me when they move here is that like oh, i love it here but it's just too white <laughs> and i'm like well <laughs> in I mean, your neighborhood in <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, in your neighborhood. Well, and it's like if you go anywhere outside, like even Federal, uh, which is like a really popular block, which is where my boxing gym. It's 
a five minute drive from here and it's like Vietnamese and Mexican and like all of these restaurants, like, and people just won't go into that side of Colorado almost. It's like, it doesn't exist. It's like people will only see what they see based on what they allow themselves to like kind of explore. But it's also just, I don't know. I feel like I always have to stand up for Denver in that way and like let people know that it's, it's not just this thing. Obviously it's not like New York or California. Um, but it exists and also my family immigrated here. So like I know firsthand that, that it does exist. And I think when people try to say it's too white, it's like this different form of erasure, especially when it is a white person saying it who just moved here. It's like the irony in itself is kind of like, you know, well, it's a class thing too, right? Because it's like Definitely. a lot of times people will only pay attention to the neighborhoods or the class, you know, a certain financial ability of people to go to certain places or whatever, you know, and that's absolutely that in, in provincial towns, like I grew up in Pittsburgh, it was definitely more so that case. Like, you know, there was the area of a certain people of certain class or whatever. And, you know, you could only afford certain neighborhoods for certain people. And I feel like, I mean, I know New York pretty well after living here for a couple of decades and, you know, it's, you will have like, you know, a housing project and then Mm -hmm. a block next to that, you'll have, you know, houses that cost, you know, millions of dollars or apartments. It's, there's less of a, I mean, there is of course some neighborhooding, but there is more of a mix. I feel like it's not quite so geographically separated. And um, I, I think that's another way that, that that stuff is kind of, you know, under the, or I don't know if it's under the radar, but it's kind of like, you know, people are separated or put into these boxes. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think that that's one thing that I love so much about New York in that sense is that the subway is this like cord that just puts ev- that plugs everybody together, you know. The great equalizer, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the great equalizer. Um, and... W- a lot of other big cities don't really have that. There's not this thing that allows people to like coexist in a small little vessel, you know, right. Even in like Los Angeles, Los Angeles felt so lonely because everywhere you went, you're in a car and everything is so far apart. And so it's really, and even in that, like those neighborhoods are so, um, geared towards a very specific type of people. Um, whereas in, and like you're even dealing with that in Colorado, like uh, where my studio is at is uh, it's called Five Points, and I've been there for uh, for years. And my grandfather and I used to work, like, do volunteer work at the food banks down there when I was younger in high school. And it, it, it was like the poorest neighborhood in Colorado. And they actually it was called the Harlem of the West because it's mm-hmm. where a lot of um, black families like moved to and had like a really rich jazz scene. Um, and it was like a, a really beautiful community and um, in 2012, the average income in that area was like thirty to sixty thousand dollars a year, which is really low. And now, the average income as of 2017 is two hundred thousand plus. Whoa, that's an uptick. Yeah, and so it's like you, so it's like all of these pa- families and like these people are being displaced. And I mean, that's like a an old conversation of gentrification or whatnot. But even I used to live in this small area of in Denver called Santa Fe where a lot of like Mexican families lived and um, like generations of houses like these people that have lived there since the 50s um, basically got up up and outed and now all of those houses over there are worth like a little over a million dollars and it's just really insane to see and witness it firsthand and 
it's like a different kind of erasure, especially because Denver is so small and it does have like such a rich history and like cultural history. And um, for like Latinos and like black families and all of that stuff, it's it it is really bizarre because you know I've lived here my whole life and I remember going somewhere when I was younger and people thought we were everybody out here was cowboys and like we still rode horses. And then weed happened. It sounds, sounds like an arc. <laughs> weed happened. Uh, and like everybody has this different like approach or idea of what Denver is. Um, mm-hmm. And I sound jaded and old, but it, it does kind of, it's hard not to talk about. Um, especially like, like I said, I've, I've lived here. My family has lived here for, I guess I'm second generation, but still. Um, but yeah, it is. Well, the, the, just real quick, the entryway into that when you were talking about music being that sort of equalizer amongst these communities, how did that happen? Were you like going to shows and you were meeting people who were kind of just into this stuff? Yeah, I mean, where I grew up in Aurora, I, you know, I, there was like a lot of, I grew up listening to like rap too and hip hop or whatever you want to call it. Um, but punk rock, just like, I don't know, hardcore, all that stuff. It just really lent itself to me. Um, my uncle would put me onto a lot of that stuff. He was like, oh, you should check out the Dead Kennedys and Screeching Weasel. Um, and my dad, my dad's such a, he's a kook. I love him to death. He was, um, I didn't really grow up with my dad, but um, the as we've gotten older, we've gotten closer. But, you know, he was really into like Skinny Puppy and Kasabian and we're just Nine Inch Nails, just this really kind of strange stuff and to me, I just thought it was cool to like go to school and be like, Oh, this is cool. But he ever heard of like, uh, I don't know, Depeche mode or something. And then that just yeah. kind of graduated into the more aggressive stuff. And I think I just was an angst. I think a lot of kids were, but I had a lot of stuff to be angry about when I was a teenager. And I just really aligned with that and like that outside culture and just wanting to be different, I guess. And it just spoke to me. It like gave me this weird permission to be angry. Um, and this permission to like not care about anybody or anything. And I know that sounds kind of like an issue, but it really just focused on community. Um, and I felt so connected to the friends that I had. Um, and I've, I've been that way my whole life. I think I'm a, I'm a pretty loyal person. And when I have like a, a select group of friends, I, I really latch onto that and hardcore kind of granted me that. And it was this, again, like when we're talking about escapism, you know, growing up in Aurora, I got a, and then in high school, I got a truck and driving up to Denver on the weekends and like seeing all the other weirdo kids in the city and like going to hardcore shows and, you know, it, yeah, it just felt, it felt safe to me. Um, yeah. And I think and a lot of, uh, creative people, like they thrive in that environment. Like you, you sort of, I uh, music is a great, you know, way for people to sort of come around and align with creativity and, you know, most bands have an aesthetic and there's like that whole side of it too. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of like, like the perfect spot. Zines. I mean, Oh yeah. The zine culture thing too was, yeah, it was huge. And skate, a lot of people skateboard, like who listen to that music, like I skateboarded and that was part of it, you know, whether it was mm-hmm. like, you know, punk or rap, like that was what we were listening to. And yeah, yeah. skateboarding is such a visual thing too. Are you still like big on like music in the studio while you're working? Is it, because music's still a big part of your life. Yeah, it's so funny because I'm talking about all this hardcore, but I love listening to R&B when I paint. It's just like, <laughs> I don't know why. It just gets me in such a different headspace. I think because it's so, 
<laughs> I find that I paint the best when I'm like coming from a place of love. And mm-hmm. I think R&B is such a, a different kind of, or even like, um, like Tejano music, like all of that stuff is mm-hmm. very sensitive and, um, and sometimes it's like sensitive in a weird way, but yeah, it, it allows me to kind of tap into a different part of that. But, but I don't really have like a, a consistent thing that I'm doing in the studio as far as what I'm listening to. Like yesterday I was listening to R&B and then like a day before that I'm listening to podcasts and then. Um, I love throwing on old HBO fights on YouTube, like Max mm-hmm. Kellerman and Roy Jones, like all of the way those guys talk about ball. It's funny. Like when I was a kid, I never understood sports commentary. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Like, can we just watch the thing? And now I'm older <laughs> and like, you're like, oh, you hear somebody talking about the sport and you can tell that it's so passionate and honest and um, <laughs> oddly kind of uh, educational when they, and yeah, I just, I really loved just like having an old fight on and hearing them talk and then something happens and then you kind of take a little break and then you watch it and you're like, Oh, okay. I I don't know. It just, I can't be, I can't work in silence though. Yeah. I used to listen to baseball games a lot when I painted because I liked the pace of it. They were long Mm. and it was kind of relaxing in a way. Mm. Are you a big baseball fan? That was kind of not, I mean, I, I go through phases. I went through phases of being really into it. I think after nine eleven happened, and I went on mm. like a two year bender of watching nothing but twenty four hour news. Mm. I needed to like purge myself from that kind of you know doom watching. So I yeah. started just getting back into baseball and and kind of watching it. But I'm more of a soccer fan, and and I still play and I still watch it all the time. Oh, do you? That's kind of the only thing I I watch anymore because I'm just I'm you know when you're you know, an artist, it's visual. So you're, you're looking at what you do. And like, if I'm not doing that, I'm like dadding or I'm, you know, or I'm doing like reading or whatever it is. It's, it's hard to have a ton of time to watch stuff, but I do mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. taking the time to watch soccer. Yeah. I, I used to really love, love it and following it. Um, and I played in like some men's leagues for a while and, uh, I kind of just fell out of it cause it got a little too, competitive it's funny because i'm really competitive but i was just like i can't do this anymore <laughs> um so like living so were you living in new york when 9-11 happened then yeah yeah i was i saw it so it, it left a pretty big mark That's, on me yeah yeah i could i could imagine did like did that influence your practice in any way uh yeah i well i mean i was kind of before 9-11 happened, a lot of my work was related to, you know, these, like, it was like sort of scenic views of things, but a lot of times there were like looming catastrophes or things that were sort of heavy feeling. And I think the duality mm. between something that's like, you know, pleasurable to look at, but asks some serious questions has always been there. So I think maybe after 9-11 happened, I went deeper into that for a little while, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's definitely had. A, I mean, everything has an effect in one way or another. You know, psychologically, it had an effect on me for a while. But um, yeah. but yeah, it's it's kind of tattooed in there. I don't think it. It's kind of like having a kid. When people ask you, like, <laughs> oh, once you have a kid, like, does your work change? Yeah, it totally changes. And the way you yeah. work changes. Your time management changes. Your whole outlook on life does. But it's not yeah. like you just start painting babies. You know, so <laughs> it, it just it's weird. It it, it affects it. <laughs> in a way that's like probably not like trackable necessarily, yeah, but it yeah. totally changes your whole life. 
<laughs> I don't know, man. I think you should start painting babies. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I thought about that's, it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so funny. Uh, yeah, no, it, that, that's funny too because there's also like that expectation that like a major life moment should find its way into your paintings because like uh, even as a when people find out that I box, everybody's like, "Why don't you do a boxing painting?" And right. I'm just like, "Could you imagine any of my paintings existing in that universe that doesn't?" And I think it's also like. I don't know. Important to have things separate in a different, in like in a way. You know, I I don't want to make paintings yeah. about everything that I do or everything right. that influences me. But New York always, especially people like my friend Jordan, who was born and raised in New York, the guy I was telling you about earlier. Um, I I always just am so curious about, especially the nine eleven thing, because you know I was in third grade when that happened, and so I have a different lens that I experienced it. You know, like I, I understood mm-hmm. that it was bad, but the gravity is is obviously different because, you know, my, my empathy gauge is a lot lower. Um, but you know, even last, the other night, me and my girlfriend watched big daddy and it ends like the, the movie ends and the, the towers are in the back and it's just so surreal to understand. Like that was, that was a thing that was there. Um, and even just like, you know, because New York is just so dense, like how could you not also feel everybody else's energy from, like the aftershock of that. Oh yeah. It was huge. I mean, living through that, you know, I was a couple years out of graduate school at that time and I was really, you know, settled into like working and, you know, the city and it it was just a huge kind of, it's impossible to sort of describe the shift that it, you know, everyone's going to have that life event in their life and it comes in different times. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Like, mm-hmm. cause I had the challenger when I was in third grade, I think third grade somewhere mm-hmm. around there, but mm-hmm. you know, we had an assembly and we all went and we saw the challenger blow up and that was crazy. And I couldn't yeah. process it completely. Kind of like you're talking about with nine 11. I couldn't, I, di- I couldn't get the whole picture, but it yeah. definitely had a huge effect on me, you know? And I yeah. think like COVID now for young kids, like they're not going to totally be able to, to put it into some sort of perspective, but you know, it's going to affect the rest of their life. And and you have these yeah. moments. I feel like you, they're probably like decade moments or something. Like you have these big moments that happen throughout your life and where you are in your life, you're able to contextualize it differently and sort of, you know, I'm sure there were people who were like, you know, 85 years old when 9-11 happened. They were like, yep, that's going to happen. You know, they just like, they were like, yeah, this is life, you know, like yeah, shit yeah, happens, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and they're just <laughs> like, they're, they're sort of like weathered and kind of understand to be able to put it into a perspective of life. And then there's younger people who are like freaked out. And, you know, I think it's, it's interesting, those events, because they definitely do shape us and, um, and they do in a serious way that's kind of like, you know, you can't really you can't really understand it totally, but they're, yeah, they're yeah, meaningful. Yeah. The, the COVID thing is really interesting too. Cause in a weird way, this feels like my adult version of nine 11, you know, yeah. I think because, excuse me, my whole plan and my, all of my agency and everything has kind of evolved around like even watching a movie and, or even a TV show and you're like, Oh, these people aren't wearing masks. Like, you know, yeah. um, or even like being, uh, you know, when I was in LA, everything was still pretty shut down. You can't like sit in restaurants, but in Denver, everything's pretty, pretty open and everything feels really normal. Um, 
And then there's like, there's a, a weird kind of divisiveness in that because you see people without masks and then you wonder where they stand like politically and who they are as people. Like, all of it just feels really bizarre. And um, I feel like, you know, it, it, we just are looking for other ways to see who's safe and who's not safe um, or who's one of us and not one of us. And um, I don't know, I'm trying to like not be a part of that problem and just understand that like sometimes like maybe somebody forgot a mask, maybe somebody like... You know, there's there's like a, a million different outcomes, but maybe not that many. But um, I do wonder too, like how it'll be when we stop wearing masks. If we will stop wearing masks, like when do we yeah. get comfortable with like having a conversation close to a stranger? You know, there's all of these things that because even even now, like I could not imagine being around somebody without a mask on. It freaks me out too much. You know, isn't it funny um, how quickly you go from like. Oh, it's weird to wear a mask 24 hours a day when you're outside and then to where yeah. it's weird if you're not wearing a mask. You know, we, we acclimate yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. quickly, but I think I have some insight on that of seeing the future. I found that, um, if you want to imagine what things will be like 10 years from now, just go to Japan because that's kind of like what the future is. Mm. <laughs> I remember really? going to Japan really, um, in the, in the early 2000s in riding the subway and everyone is texting on their phone. No one was talking to each other. Everyone was just on their phones and they were flip phones back then, but you could still text and stuff. And I was like, why they look like robots. What is wrong? Like (laughs) no one's talking or looking at each other, you know? And then, you know, ride the the subway in Brooklyn in, you know, 2019. And it's the same thing. Everyone's just on their phones. Yeah. Same thing with masks. Like in Asia, people like, you know, you wear a mask. It's not weird. You just do it. Like if you have a cold or mm-hmm. if you feel susceptible or if you're at risk, you wear a mask and no one freaks out or thinks it's weird. And then like, of course, yeah. you know, it takes us a, a while to catch up, but sooner or later we're kind of, or it takes a pandemic to do it. But, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you catch up and you realize like, oh, I, like if you have a cold, you should wear a mask and, you know, or if you're someone who's high at risk, you should wear a mask and it's not that big of a deal, you know? And then younger people yeah. are probably not going to wear them as much and they probably don't need to as much, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's funny. One of my friends who just moved here from New York, um, he's originally from Korea and he was saying the same thing. He was like, oh, everybody just wears masks in Korea. Like it's it's the respectful thing to do. Um, yeah. And, and it's true. Like it is, it's, it, it's funny too because I haven't, Sorry, my girlfriend keeps making cameos. <laughs> um, it's okay. but that's, well, it's a podcast, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, it's... Uh, he was like, yeah, when you're in a meeting with with people, like in, if you're in a conference room, people will typically just like wear a mask so nobody gets sick. Um, yeah. the, the one thing that is hard is going to the gym, like the boxing gym and wearing a mask because I feel like I'm waterboarding oh, yeah. myself with like my sweat and a mask, like all the time. Um, yeah, but all of that has been pretty safe and, um, everybody at the gym is pretty, every, I mean, our, our community is like really tight and respectful. And so I think everybody understands like, let's respect each other. Like if, if one of us gets sick, then like this whole thing is shut down. Um, right. but yeah, I, you know, I, it is, it, it is, it is different. You know, it's funny. My, my grandmother who, she, I love her to death. We're, we're well, after my grandfather had passed, she started dating this guy and it's really bizarre, but he's a, he's a Trump supporter. And it's also really odd because I wonder how he feels about like 
going to quinceaneras and stuff like that. I wonder like what that thought process is, is for him. Right. Um, but I saw them before I went to LA and he was so stressed about COVID and he was wearing a mask and he didn't want to be close to anybody. And I was just like, Oh, this is so surprising. I thought that all of you guys were anti-mask and you know, like I was, <laughs> yeah. I was more worried about my grandmother cause my grandmother, she actually works at a hospital. Um, and she's the one who does the tests. And so I've been really worried about her, but it does give me a lot of comfort knowing that he is pretty high stress about it and that he wouldn't yeah. put her at risk. Um, but yeah, even in that like kind of divisiveness, I think we expect everybody to be one thing or the other, but like anything, like a lot of people are a little bit more complex than that. And, um, but yeah, yeah it, and it, being ahead, considerate sorry. too can kind of, you know, supersede political leanings and, you know, like you'll have compassionate, people and on both sides and considerate people on both sides and inconsiderate people on both sides. So it's, you know, that's kind of a different metric, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I guess that's like why I was so kind of caught off guard. I was just like, Oh, you care, you know, like this is, (laughs) this is, this is the same guy that will wear a shirt that says make liberals cry again. You know, it's, it's just so, you know, somebody who I've like butted heads with and it's, yeah, it's so just that's confusing. <laughs> it is. It's so confusing. I was like, I was, I was with my girlfriend. I was like, what is going on? Like, is this like a <laughs> weird twilight? Like, is he playing us right now? Is this like a weird prank? You know, like, is he yeah. making fun of me? You know, it, it was just, you know, his ability. I mean, I don't think that he was doing all of that, but. Well, um, in, when, when faced yeah. with the prospect of a, uh, a brutal virus or, you know, and death, people will sometimes, you know, have a shift in, opinion not everyone as we've seen on tv the past few days but yeah you know a lot of people will yeah. have you know a different sort of perspective on life you know and i guess that yeah that could yeah. fade after a, a couple of weeks or whatever everyone kind of falls back into their groove you know but yeah let's hope for is, the best <laughs> for sure for sure it is funny how like more comfortable i've become since all of this has kind of happened um i definitely was like pretty high stress i'm a hypochondriac so i just like to assume the worst and that the worst is going to happen to me and I'm going to get sick and which is probably I fi- I find that it's been more beneficial for me in some regards cuz then I don't get let down as often like thinking best case scenario first um <laughs> right right, but, right. Uh, set the bar low on that and <laughs> always yeah I yeah. find you know some people say it's pessimism I just think it's realism and I don't know I find that I don't know. I would talk to my therapist about it because I was just like, is this is this a bad thing? Um, but then there's like the other side of that where it's like, you know, when good things are happening for you, you're like, it's hard not to expect the downfall of it. You know, it's like yeah. if you're just kind of waiting around for the bad thing to happen, then you're you're not let down, but that's such an unhealthy way of looking at life. Like it's, it's better just to like like ride that wave while it's there. Um, Yeah. Because like if you could, you could spend every minute of your life being like, I'm going to die at some point. And then like 50 years later, when you're, when you die, when you're about to die, you're like, yep, I told you. I told you. (laughs) So you're not let down. You're like, yeah, Yeah. I saw that coming for 50 years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess it's a balance, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm definitely trying to like navigate that a bit more healthy, um, which is like why I think meditating, I, I, I got really into it for a while there when I was like 24 and 25. And I do it from time to time still. But um, 
that really helped me kind of just be a bit more present. Um, yeah. Cause I have this tendency to just always be focusing on, like I just said, the what if or like oh, the worst case scenario. But now if I'm just kind of riding that wave and just kind of going with that feeling, um, it allows me to be a bit more like, I don't know, present, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, um, and talking about art, what are you working on now? Like, so you're, you're back at it here in Denver? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I kind of just paint all the time, no matter what, just cause I, I like doing it. But now I'm, there's a, I'm going to be a part of this three person show at this new place in Belgium called, uh, new child. Um, mm-hmm. it's in, uh, not what's Antwerp. It's in Antwerp. Um, nice. uh, yeah, it's a new space. Uh, so I'm making like some smaller works for that. I, I have a show up right now at, um, 1969 in New York. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, how long is that up? that is up until the the 25th um and so i put a lot of time and effort into that and then uh, i made a lot of paintings that month in los angeles and then um i'm going to be doing a solo booth at the la art fair with 1969 in february nice. so yeah just trying to like stay busy well not trying to i am busy um but just trying to balance my life outside of that you know um, yeah. cause I also want to be just like a good friend and a good partner and a good son and great. Like, you know, I want to do all of these things that are the other side of being like an artist. You know, I, um, I think I've just dedicated so much of my time to painting because I love doing it. Um, but now I also want to focus on like the other things that influence that, you know, like I can only. I don't know. I just I just feel like being so focused on one thing too one thing too much can also be bad. Um Yeah. And definitely. also since my paintings are about my life, like you know, there's this whole Lauren Hill thing where she was talking about how she was having a hard time writing an album and writing about anything because she was just always in the studio and she just was she she wasn't living a life. Um and as I'm getting like I mean not older, but like I am every year, you know, I'm 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 27 and I want to be making, you know, these paintings that are about my life. And I feel like I'm really tapping into this other part of my culture that I never have before. And my grandmother's getting older and my family as a whole is like, I still have great, like great relatives, like great uncles, great aunts and stuff like that. And, um, I kind of just like want to experience that a bit more before it's gone, you know? And, uh, yeah. So I'm excited to like make some paintings and readjust to being in my studio and like having to share it with people and also having to drive. I really liked my live work scenario. Uh, I never, oh, yeah. I never thought I would, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, cutting down the commute really can, can be productive, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm ritualistic in that way. Like I, I would like to wake up, I get my matcha and then I go to the studio and then I paint, um, Whereas when I was in LA, I felt like, you know, I'd do the same thing, but then I could paint and then I could take a break halfway through the day, go back and paint, like hang out at night and then I could paint again. You know, I could just like keep doing this thing. Um, whereas like now when I'm at the studio, it's like, okay, I'm going to be here from nine until six. Um, and I feel like this different kind of obligation to get everything done in that time frame. Um, 
which is a different kind of pressure. But do, are you working from home? No, no, I'm back in the studio. I mean, I'm kind of nomadic when I work. I mean, oh, I have okay. a studio here at home, like a small where I do work on paper and work digitally at home. And then I have my studio in Bushwick that's, you know, for the painting stuff. And and then normally when I'm teaching in uh, in uh, Penn State, like three days a week, I'm there. Uh, I mean, oh, when, wow. you know, back in the day, whenever we were in person on things. So uh, yeah. studio there, too. So, you know, I, I work where I go and stuff. But no, I definitely I've been painting. I've been enjoying going at nighttime now because my son's homeschooling. So I'll just, you know, hang oh. around during the day, do the podcast, work on paperwork on the computer. And then after dinner, I'll go out to the studio and, and work late at night. So oh, wow. it's been kind of like a throwback to the old college days, you know, of like yeah, yeah, yeah. working at night, which is nice. So, uh, but it's, it's less populated there. It's easier to park and get around and, and, you know, it's kind of quiet, mm. which is nice. So again, oh, so trying to get, yeah. yeah, trying to get that studio quiet, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because your paintings, even though like they're in New York, they they have that quiet to them. You know, they are very silent in that way, and yeah, everybody yeah. feels like they're asleep. And um, yeah, I, I so so your process you start digitally, and then do you make your collages, and then do you make the painting? How does that work? Oh, it's all it changes. I oh, mean, yeah, uh, so, yeah. I'm kind of doing all of it at the same time. Some things start as one and become the other, and it's just yeah. a, it depends on the project and what the images are. It's, I kind of think of it as like a cyclical all at once kind of thing. They feed each other instead of just like a you know, bottom feeder sort of thing. Yeah. 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 That, that makes sense. It's funny. Cause, uh, I, all of my paintings start from a drawing and then, um, the drawing I'll do like lately I've been making color studies of the drawing mm-hmm. and then like writing my notes down because, um, I'd never really remember how I get to a certain color. I'd kind of just like put a bunch of colors down cool and warm and then I mix stuff. And then, um, I'm finding that if I just do all of the problem solving really small, it makes the bigger painting way easier. Yeah. Um, which is something I was kind of against at first. Cause I was like, Oh, the painting should only exist in like this one breath, you know, like you have to <laughs> like, you know, I was like trying to be a Puritan and then I was like, no, that's corny. I'm just going to like, work smarter and sometimes smarter is harder and like I have and I also just like love painting you know it's like this thing where and I love drawing drawing for me is in a lot of ways more fun than painting um because drawing is just so like I I feel like I'm thinking way less about it you know I sit down yeah I have like my pastels and my pencils and I have an image or like an idea and then I do that and then it's really I don't know I, I also just feel like I was always more of a confident like draftsman or drawer in college than I was a painter. Um, but you know, I mean, they're different things. So like they're going to require, just like I'm sure like making a collage for you is like a different, like it's a different form of drawing, I guess. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's a different speed. It's a different, um, I, I feel like I've unintentionally over, you know, a long time I've, I've just set myself up with like different ways of working that it's almost like Mm. the refresh button every time I change. Mm, so like mm-hmm. when I'm so tired of like working on an animation for weeks and weeks and weeks and I don't want to stare at a screen anymore, I'll just go into paper land for like a couple of weeks and then I, you know, revitalize yeah. myself and then I'll go work on something huge that mm. it gets my body more physical. If I feel like I'm just sitting in a chair too much, you know, it's just, yeah, I'm trying to like give myself those options of, of well, actually, no, it's not even like I tried to do it. It just sort of 
serendipitously happened over you know the course of working that yeah, yeah, I have yeah. these different ways of working. Like I always say that if you would have told me in grad school that you'd be doing video stuff, I'd be like, what are you talking about? You know, yeah, 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 just yeah. kind of That's like funny. slowly happened over a long period of time. So, yeah, I'm realizing like your body and your mind will tell you what it wants. Um, yeah. And like when I got to LA, I just, I tried to make paintings right away and I, it just wasn't working. And I was like, Oh, I think I just want to draw. And then I made a bunch of drawings in the, in a couple of days. And I was like, Oh, this, this is what I wanted to do. Like I just needed something that was going to work for me. Um, right. And then I think the secret, I think the secret to longevity too is listening to that. Like if you force yourself mm-hmm. to just do the one thing that you feel like, well, I got to make these paintings and just do it over and over. You will either burn out or you'll hate the process or that mm-hmm. frustration will come out in it. And I think you really have to just, you know, find a way to make your process work for you. You know, otherwise it's just going to be, you know, a drag or you won't be happy, you know? No, definitely. And it's funny because I think it took me a a while to even start listening to that a bit more. Um, I think that like that in itself, just like painting or drawing, like it takes a a while to get better at that or like get good at it. Or even like there's parts of a painting where like, I think in my mind I've, when I like, I'm like painting a pair of pants or something. I have this idea like, Oh, I'm going to need to work on these pants for like four or five hours a day. But sometimes you get all of that done in an hour. And I think it's important to recognize that, that like you can't always like put a time frame on something or like this expectation because sometimes your first moves in a painting are the right ones and you kind of just yeah. have to like let those live. Um, and I'm getting better about just like listening to that and stepping away and also like working on three or four paintings at once has really helped me with that. Um, yeah. I used to think that like, all right, I'm just going to work on this one painting. And once that done, I can move on to another, but you know, there's all of like those moves and like that problem solving that occurs in like other paintings that you can extrapolate that, that information and then use it in another painting, um, or drawing or whatever, you know, I, I feel like I just started doing that maybe a year ago, working, working. on more than one painting. So it's really? been like over 20 years of working on just one painting at a time. Mm. And now I'm starting to, I'm starting to, I've learned how to manage working on it. It used to be, I was just so like rushed or something that I would just Mm. use paint from one painting and the other one Mm. because I'm mixing everything, you know what I mean? And I didn't like that cross contamination, but now I'm becoming much better at just being very specific about how I do each thing. So I'm able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like that setting that pace for yourself too, you know, like not feeling that rush to be like, okay, I need to like do all of these things right now. Um, yeah. Or even like, I don't know, sometimes I will be lazy and be like, oh, I'm just going to use the painting, the paint, because I use oil paint. Like, I'm just going to use the paint that I used here in this painting. And that's just not always the right thing. And sometimes you're just like, all right, well, I'm going to spend the next hour or two just mixing a palette um, and finding the right colors. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I just never it took a lot of my painter friends telling me to make more paintings than one at once to like actually make me do it. And now I couldn't imagine working on just one painting, but I mean, that could change. I could change in like a year or six months or like two weeks. You know, I could just be like, no, this is what I need to do. Yeah. I do love the not sitting around while waiting for something to dry. Oh yeah. 
Absolutely. That's nice. <laughs> like yeah. just moving on to the other thing. And then when that one's, you know, wet and you got to give it some time, you turn around and you're like, oh, you're dry and I'll go back to you. You know, I mean, I yeah. work with acrylics, so it's different. Like I can use a hair dryer to dry things mm. and mm-hmm. I can speed up that process. But there is something nice about, okay, you're going to sit over there for 20 minutes. I'm going to work on this. And then when yeah. that's done, you know, you can kind of be a little more productive and you're, you're all your mental eggs aren't in one basket, which is good. Definitely. Well, that's even true with like oil. Like I remember even working on like these, some of these bigger paintings for 1969, you know, I was like, oh, I need to put down like this oil ground or paint this thing, one flat color today. But like, I also have to work on this, you know, so I could just kind of bounce back and forth and, um, you know, or even just being like, oh, you know, this actually worked over here really well. I'm going to try to do that over here. You know, it's, it's just, uh, it's funny. Why don't you share with people listening, like where they can see your stuff, like all the different galleries or shows or Instagram, like all, you know, where they can find more about you. Um, yeah. So I just started, I just, sorry. Um, I just started showing with, uh, 1969 in New York. Um, and I have a show up there until the 25th and that's in the lower East side. Um, and then I show with a gallery in Colorado called rule. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, and then, like I said, I'm going to be in this show in Belgium at new child in, uh, at the end of October. Um, but really like I don't have a website, which I probably should. Um, I had one for a little bit, but it was really terrible. So I usually just post everything to Instagram and I typically find that that is the most authentic version of my, like, I don't know. You can just see my pain. I don't know. I, I just feel like I don't see people going to, websites as much anymore i i feel like on instagram everybody can kind of see what i'm up to and then also you can see who the people are because i think that you're also invested in the person that you're following you know like i i really love seeing like oh this is so and so and they're listening to this you know i just feel like you get a different gauge of who they are um but but yeah that's that's where you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, no one looks at my website. They just go to my TikTok to watch me dance all the time. Yeah, that's what that's I like where to it's hear. At. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't have uh, a TikTok. I, I solely rely on my girlfriend to send me TikToks throughout the day. Oh, um, I'm totally joking. I'm not allowed. I, mean, no, yeah, I have a no, son. No. Like, I'm too old. I didn't make the cutoff. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> they don't let me on there. <laughs> no, it, it's funny too because. Uh, I'm a huge, I'm real. I love cats. I'm a cat guy. So literally any kind of cat TikTok or cat video is where I go. Like that, that's, that's the way to my heart. Um, totally. I have like a, a private account or like a, a Finsta, if you will. Um, uh-huh. and I, I really just follow like cat and boxing pages. It's funny. It's so t- <laughs> two totally different worlds, but like I'm a big old softy in that regard. I don't know that um, sometimes I watch my two cats box and it's pretty legit. Like, yeah. They go at it. <laughs> no, they, yeah, I I, uh, I have a pretty big. I mean, he's a big old baby, but we we take him on walks. Um, yeah. So I'm one of the, I'm one of those people. Me uh, and my girlfriend yeah. are like Catwalker. the neighborhood. Yeah, or the <laughs> the neighborhood anomaly. Like you see me walking around, usually like shirtless with my cat, and people just always want to stop and take pictures. It's really funny, <laughs> but um, he like there's this little dog that came up to us one day when we were sitting, and Max my cat he is so unbothered by dogs but this little dog just wanted to play and wanted to play and it just kept getting in his face and he just 
wasn't having smacked it. him up a bit. <laughs> no, and then the dog just started crying, and I felt so bad because I was just talking to the dog's owner, like, yeah, he doesn't really care about dogs. He's he's pretty pretty gentle, <laughs> and he just smacked <laughs> him up, and the dog started wincing. But uh, but yeah, I'm not a TikToker. I actually don't have anything but Instagram. Solid. Well, solve but the that's a good dilemma. That's a good place for people to catch up with your work. And yeah, is the yeah. uh, last question is the six, 1969 are they do you know if they're open by appointment or are they just have hours or how can people uh, get there? Yeah, they are appointment only t- right now. Um, so just send them an email. Yeah, and I think they actually I think they might even have a time slot thing on their uh website um nice. where you can just like go to. That's kind of what I was what I noticed was the uh the algorithm for everywhere in LA. You kind of had to go to the website, set a reservation. It's pretty easy like user friendly and then you just show up you got like 30 minutes um walk around check it out elizabeth glasner is in that show and judge sheffman i hope i didn't mess up their last names but they're also really amazing artists um yeah i'm i'm really excited to be a part of that show sounds good all right man well thanks for taking all this time to talk it was great to virtually i mean it's a shame you can't be in new york for the show but um, yeah, maybe maybe I one wish. day we'll be able to fly and and get on <laughs> and go to shows in person again. I know, I'm I'm hoping so. Well, thanks for asking me. I've been a fan of your podcast for a minute, so it's it's kind of a dream. So I really appreciate. Uh, thanks. That. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of the work, so it was great to talk to you. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. I'll hit you up if I'm ever in New York. Yes. <laughs>